it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, good evening. Welcome to School Days, help for moms and dads of school-age kids. I'm Danita Bailey. Grief is a natural response to the trauma of experiencing a loss. You may not have a lost loved one, but right now in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak and closures and quarantines, we are definitely experiencing a loss of our way of life. I think in the coming days, we will begin to see our kids, not to mention ourselves, show signs of grief. So I'm happy to have my guest in the studio tonight to talk to us about how to deal with these emotions that are arising in all of us, as well as speak to adults who are caring for a child who's grieving the loss of a loved one or friend. Before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Day Show and hashtag I Am School Days. And also, we do want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-444-5575. Or if you're live with us on Facebook, you can drop us a line there. Without further ado, let's let our kid casters introduce today's guests. Our first kid caster is fifth grade student Lizzie Glover. Mr. Vincent is a father of three and a grandfather of five. The death of one of his grandchildren thrust him into service of the grieving community. He is a keynote speaker and trainer, presenting on grief topics including self-care, grandparent grief, and bereavement care. Along with speaking and training, Mr. Vincent has written numerous articles on biblical and spiritual and grief topics. He works with schools, businesses, organizations, and churches, helping them to create a safe landing space and continued care for those returning to their communities after a grief event. Mr. Vincent serves grievers with a message of hope and healing, how to return to the world, and remaining productive in their post-grief event state. Welcome to School Days, Mr. Vincent. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And our second kid caster is second grade student, Madeline Newcomb. Ten-year-old Bryce relishes his role as big brother. At the age of six, that role was redefined with the loss of his little sister. His tender servant heart has led him to serve other grieving children, including his little brother, TJ. With insight and wisdom, he has gained from his unique journey. Bryce co-wrote the book, What This Kid Wants Adults to Know About Grief, to help adults better connect and help grieving kids. He is 
an aspiring engineer, speaker, musician, and Minecraft YouTube sensation. Welcome to school days, Bryce. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you both for being here. I'm so excited to finally meet you. You and I actually, uh, Bradley, talked quite a while ago, yeah, about a year ago a when we were just baby podcasters back then. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> and yeah. so I'm glad we actually um, have a friend in common and she brought you back up to me. So I'm so glad that we were able to get you guys in the studio and get a chance to talk to you about your experience. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Really excited about that. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump right in. What started you guys both on this grief advocacy journey? Well, I think uh, life experience is what brought us here. I mean, I don't think we would be doing it if we were not in a position we're in right now uh, with the loss of my granddaughter and Bryce's sister. <clears throat> and just kind of as we uh, have been dealing with the life situations, we just figured that helping others would help us heal. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to, we know other people were hurting because we're hurting and it's natural. So we wanted to just lean into it and help other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long ago was the loss? Um, May 11th, 2016. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what is your job as a grief advocate? Yes. I, I help grievers and or the grieving community and those people that care for them. So I help grievers by helping them on their journey toward healing, mm -hmm. uh, with just different insight and education for the journey. And I also help those that are caring for them through training and speaking. And so a lot of times when you're on that grief journey, you feel isolated and alone. And some of that is natural, but I want to help them not be stuck where they are to at least get on a journey to healing mm -hmm. um, and just have hope along the way. And then for those that are caring for grievers, just to get the tools, practical tools that they need to help walk alongside people that are grieving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So both of you, why did you feel like there was a book that you needed to write a book to assist adults in helping kids grieve? We decided to write the book because my little sister, um, wait, no, my bad. Um, if we wrote a book, I, we felt like if we wrote a book, it would have a greater impact than the videos that we we did in September. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were doing a series of videos. I was doing these Facebook lives called um, Good Grief. Uh huh. And one night I was writing out my little script or kind of thinking about what I would talk about that night. And Bryce said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing a video for people that are grieving. He said, oh, okay, what is that about? Well, we're talking about blah, 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 whatever. And then he's like, why is not somebody doing that for kids? Mm. I want to do that for kids. I said, okay, well. Next week, not tonight, because I usually do my videos at 9 o'clock at night. I said, you're not doing it tonight. <laughs> but next week, let's talk about it. So then next week, he came online with me, and uh, we talked about his time at a grief camp, and it went over very well. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to do a series of videos in November called What This Kid Wants Adults to Know About Grief. Mm -hmm. And it was during National Children's Grief Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. And they went over so well, we got invited to speak a couple of times at different places, and um, on our second speaking engagement, we were asked, oh, where's your book? We were like, mm, we don't have a book. We just speak. And we got back home and BB, my Bryce's grandma, my wife, she said, you, you ought to do a book. And pretty much the rest is history. We just kind of went back and transcribed the videos. And I interviewed Bryce and he kept talking and talking as you've already witnessed a little bit of that <laughs> before the show. And, you know, that's kind of where the book came from. It's out of, out of necessity because we realized that when we went out and spoke together, that children usually don't have a voice. Yeah. 
everyone wants to talk about how to help a child, but rarely does anyone ask a child. Mm. And and who better to talk about how a child feels than a child? Than a child. Yeah. Right. Because it's been a long time for us. It's been a long time Right, and we've had a lot of stuff happen between the time that we were 10 and now. Indeed. So we lose sight a little bit. So Bryce, can you tell me about your book? Um, It's about grief and how adults and kids can collaborate and understand each other's grief. And by talking to each other and using conversation starters and just just talking. Mm -hmm. When you talk to people, you can get your feelings out to them instead of keeping them balled up inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is this a book just for adults or can kids read this book too? Kids Would it be helpful re- for them? Adults and kids can read them. That's basically the main idea of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of let's talk a little bit about what's happening in our country right now and the impact of loss of our way of life. Mm. Um, Because I was really just thinking about that this morning as I was preparing for this show. And I was like, you know, we're experiencing loss as well because we've, you know, things keep getting taken away from us. Right. You know, hour by hour almost now. So kind of how how does grieving um, look like in a situation where you haven't lost a loved one, but you're losing um, your way of life? Right. And and what's weird about that is when I first started serving the grieving community, I was pigeonholed, so to speak, in loss, loss of life, loss mm-hmm. of a loved one. And as I started serving the community, I realized there's other losses, yes. loss of relationship, loss of health, loss of different things like that. And people are grieving all kinds of things. And right now there's that kind of communal loss or that group mm-hmm. loss, like we were talking about before the show started, is that we're all experiencing this loss at a certain level, the loss of freedom. The yes. loss of being able to go out and do what you want to do versus, you know, what the governor or the mayor or whoever said we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the loss of control, which is the funny thing, because when you really think about it, we are never really in control. We think we are. Right. Mm-hmm. But when things when tragedy happens, like a death of a loved one or something like this, and they say you cannot go outside. Yeah. You cannot be with more than 10 people. You cannot go to a restaurant. Right. You cannot sit down at Starbucks. Right. There, there's some loss to that mm-hmm. and there's some grieving to that. Um, I think what, you know, that major thing is probably loss of control mm-hmm. or the perception, that perception bubble of control has been burst. Mm-hmm. And so now you uh, rebel against it. Oh, everybody that's following these rules are dumb or whatever else. So that's one of the first things you start to try to do. Right. And then it's like, wait a minute, when it sets in and nobody's at the grocery store and nobody can go in the mall. Mm-hmm. You start to look around. And it's like, okay, something, my, my life is literally in somebody else's hands. now. Mm. And what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird kind of predicament. And as you heard, Bryce was talking earlier, he's only been at home one day <laughs> and he says it feels like a year. And it's like, okay, if it was Christmas holiday and you were in the house, it wouldn't be it, that big a deal. It wouldn't be a big deal. But now that somebody says you can't go do something, because if it was a snow day and snow was up halfway up the wall of the house <laughs> and you couldn't get out, that'd be okay. Yes. But now because somebody says you can't go outside, mm-hmm. it feels like you've been in the house for you a year. You feel trapped. Right. Yeah. We, we were talking about that beforehand, Bryce. So you, <laughs> what, you, what your papa is saying is that you feel like you've been in the house forever yes. and it's really only been one day. Because uh, it's like 
let's say I love to go to Canes because I do. I love to go to Canes. And now Raising we can't, Canes, the chicken yes. place? Okay. Now we can't go over there and sit and eat. Mm-hmm. Now we have to take it back to the house and I have to wait longer to eat. Yes. And that, that's that's kind of sad to Yes. Because I love eating when I'm hungry. I want to eat right then. And you most don't. of the time I want to eat that. And Raising when Canes? I go, yeah. When, whenever I don't get to eat that, I get upset. I feel you, man, because my my son, DJ, that's his favorite place. And we haven't broken it to him that he won't be able to go to Raising Cane's yet. <laughs> but that's good insight. How else is, is this impacting your life, Bryce? What else? Um, Just being can't really have a lot of my friends to play with right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. What about the um, extensive washing of hands and making sure you're clean? I'm uh, sure you don't like do that. that. No. <laughs> You know, like it's not like I don't like to get clean. It just takes longer. It does because you have to wash for a whole twenty seconds, right? Yeah, you weren't doing that before, were you? No. Yeah, none so of I was us doing were. It for like ten seconds, mm-hmm. and then be done. And but now I gotta wash it for twenty seconds, which is double the amount of time I usually take. Double the amount of time. And then every I have to wash it like seventeen times a day. Right, because uh, our pastor suggested, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere, but I thought it was a great idea. Anytime you enter a building, wash your hands, and before you leave the building, wash your ah. hands. So that's a whole lot of washing. What What's funny is that because I'm also a chaplain with the city of Flower Mound, and that's one of the things that, that we talk about as chaplains and serving those that are ill. Wash your hands before yes. you go in their room. Yes. Wash your hands when you leave their hospital room or wherever mm-hmm. you're going. Mm-hmm. And so it's like some things are just kind of, they seem like ahas, <laughs> but if we just kind of did that anyway, right? And if made we were it, normally cl- cl- right. clean, yeah, it, it, you know, I think some of this stuff wouldn't be as uh, as nerve wracking as it is. Yeah, hopefully some of it sticks. Yeah. Oh, and also, it's kind of frustrating that people keep trying to raid the gro- the grocery stores for toilet paper. Mm, yeah, none of us really understand that. They just run into the stores and grab like 17 packages of toilet paper and mm-hmm. then bring it back to their house and don't use half of that. Well, we're thinking we are going to use it use it eventually. We want to make sure it's there, right? Yeah. How many people are in your house? Four. Four people. That's a lot of people to not have toilet paper, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but we're good. We, I mean, we always shop like that because we have two boys in the house. Yeah. We have- a deep freezer with snacks and stuff. And we just always had that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. Now it's full, <laughs> huh? Um, so how would you like to see um, schools provide emotional support to kids during this time? Because I know that mm. I've seen just in the last 24 hours, because I told you that I told my daughter last night that, that she probably wouldn't be going back to school. And today I've really seen her drastically change she's been picking on her brothers more and part of that is probably because they're together but um she already struggles with anxiety and so i've just seen her be more clingy and different things like that so you know since schools aren't going to be in session for a while how would you like to see what would you like to see them do to kind of help out yeah because right now what's funny is that i i honestly think when people haven't experienced loss um their first inference of loss is almost universal. Mm. You know, so if you're an eight-year-old that lost your cell phone or a 20-year-old that lost their, their favorite pet, to them, the loss might even feel the same, mm. right? So you have these preteen or very young kids that are actually grieving, yeah, not being able to go outside. You mm-hmm. know, like an adult, you're like, 
go in your room, you know, <laughs> but it's like, but their loss is real to them. Yeah. And so I think this is a perfect opportunity, kind of like what the book it does is conversation. What's really going on? How are you feeling? How can I help you get through this? What can we do as a family? Knowing these are the variables, right? We can't go eat in somewhere. Mm -hmm. We can't go do this. Okay. But we can go in the backyard. Let's go back in the backyard and barbecue. Mm. Let's get outside. Okay, I know I never go do blah, blah, blah with you, that physical activity in the backyard. I'm going to get out there and do that with you now. Mm -hmm. So kind of become that new friend. And you have these new things you're doing that can make them kind of forget some of that stuff they can't do. Mm. Um, you know, like I said, because I always focus on death by loss of a person. Mm -hmm. This was kind of a curveball for me realizing that, you know, because, you know, I'm on Facebook and kind of hearing the neighborhood people talk about stuff and. The teenager's going ballistic because she can't visit her boyfriend. So-and-so oh, no. -and -so is going ballistic because they missed their birthday party. And it's like, oh. that's it. But then I have to realize I can't be that jaded to other people's loss, mm -hmm. right? Because I know what loss is now. Mm -hmm. and, and at a certain level, loss is loss is loss. Yep. And so how do you be sensitive to that and say, okay, I understand that you want to see that friend, but right now you can't. We have telephones, mm -hmm. we have FaceTime, we have where you can get online and play a certain video game with them. Yep. So you can still have those connections. Is Trying to figure out other ways to have connections Yeah. is how to get over this hurdle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I reached out to my daughter. She's in first grade. I reached out to her teacher today and I said, what would you think about doing a Zoom meeting with all of her classmates? Because she misses her classmates yeah. and then she's also thinking... God knows when I'm going to see them again. Right. And she was really open to that um, that concept because it would be nice to just be able to, you know, have a little FaceTime with all of our classmates and just kind of talk about what are you doing and right. what are you, you know, what are you playing? You know, they're going to be talking about kids stuff. They're not going to be talking about anything super, right. super deep. But I think that that's that will help them yeah, and, tremendously. And, and Bryce's little brother, he's a kinder. And his teacher is doing vid not video lessons, but video assignments. Mm -hmm. So she'll pre-record and say, this is what I would like you to do. And then they get to actually record back into the laptop uh, and she can watch their little videos. Yes. So to them, I mean, they're younger and they kind of like, oh, cool. This is something cool. Even though I don't see my teacher, mm -hmm. I get to make a video. Yeah. And so to him. He's more impressed to see himself on the video <laughs> than seeing his teacher, right? Uh -huh. But then th that goes at levels too. It's like, hey, you know, how can we get these kids together even virtually if yeah. possible? You yeah, know? absolutely. Bradley, tell me how childhood grief differs from that of adults. Mm, I, I would say from lack of a better way to say it, it's kind of a maturity, uh -huh. right? In the, in the developing brain. Because I remember uh, when Alana first passed away, Bryce was six and his little brother was two. <clears throat> and their grief was drastically different from mine, mm -hmm. right? And so with that, even when we told Bryce that his little sister was gone to heaven, at the age of six, there was a concept of that, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, yeah, can I go play with my Legos now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because he's six and it's only going to go so far. And the same thing with this two-year-old brother. <clears throat> But as time has gone on, his grief has changed. Mm. And our willingness to circle back to wherever he is in his grief is very important. Because mm -hmm. 10-year-old grief is different than, than 6-year-old grief. Mm. And 5-year-old grief is different than 2-year-old grief. Yes. And 2-year-olds grieve. That's something we learned very early on in our process. And um, 
one of the first counselors that we met after the passing of our granddaughter, he told us about his brother dying when he was two years old. And this is back in the 60s, late 50s, 60s. And his family acted like his brother didn't exist. Wow. And he said he didn't even have a chance to grieve until he was in his 30s. He was wondering what was wrong with him all these years. And at the age of two, he knew somebody was missing. Oh, gosh. And that that pierced our hearts to make sure that we care for little TJ Mm -hmm. and, you know, surround him with examples of healthy grieving and talking about Alana and acknowledging, even though he didn't have the vocabulary, Mm -hmm. that he might be sad Mm -hmm. because he he loved his sister. So he knew that she's no longer here. Mm -hmm. So how do we facilitate that and help him, you know, go through that process? Yeah. And so, yeah, but but. Children's grief is very different from ours, Mm -hmm. and they're going to re-grieve, as I call it, at every stage of life, Mm. right? And so as adults, we have to be willing to circle back to 13-year-old grief Mm. and 18-year-old grief, right? Because as they develop in their mind, starts to think of different things, start thinking about the hows and Mm -hmm. the whys, Mm -hmm. and we have to be ready for that, right? We just can't assume, oh, yeah, they're resilient. He's good because he's not crying, Mm -hmm. but... He's a person. Yeah. Right. And he's grieving. So Uh, I remember when TJ, um, the other day, not um, too long ago, I went to go play with my friends outside and he, um, he didn't know that I went over. I didn't go with my friends because he had to do his work. So I left the house. He was trying to finish the work to go outside with me. Then, um, my watch was wrong. It wasn't the right time. So I came home at the time that I thought it was, and it wasn't. He finished. He was crying because he couldn't come outside and play with me because he didn't know where I was. Mm-hmm. And since it looked, it felt like I was late because he knew, he can tell time. He knew what time I was supposed to be home. So I come home. It's like seven thirty. It was off by well, not it was somewhat not six o'clock anymore. So I come home. And he's crying, he's wailing and crying and just whining. And I said, TJ, what's wrong? He's like, I wish you were back home. I wanted to go play with you. I thought something bad happened to you. Mm. And I came and I said, TJ, are you okay? And he said, I miss my sister and I, I felt like you were gone. And because he knew I was gone, but he didn't know where. So yeah. um, I had to comfort him for that. And a good big brother. And at his age, he ties other sadnesses to the sadness of the loss of his sister mm-hmm. kind of everything is attached to that mm-hmm. so if you're missing i miss alana and i miss you too oh yeah. i miss you and now i'm thinking about missing alana yeah so you know and that's five-year-old grief yeah you know we're kind of learning all these things by the seat of our pants and kind of getting through it and if you think about it their brains are developing and so that would be why they grieve differently at different ages because more things kind of come to mind or you know they experience different things and um it's all new to them and they filter that experience through grief right yeah And, and what was kind of um what, what kind of astonished us early on, you know, when Alana died when he was two, you know, we would say Alana's gone or Alana's in heaven. Mm-hmm. To him, heaven can be Walmart at the age of two. Right. Right. And so whenever we went back to familiar places, he thought that's where Alana was. Mm. So we'd go back and we'd visit my parents or we'd go back to his old house. And he, the first thing he would say is, where's Alana? Where's Alana? 
because she's not with us. She's gone. Mm -hmm. She must be here. Yeah. Right. And so as adults, there's different ways we can respond to that. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we can have frustration or we can be like, oh, no, you're going to make so-and-so cry. But we had to be like, no, he's two. Mm -hmm. And gone to him just means not sitting here next to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, kind of nurturing him through that process of what gone is. Mm -hmm. And, well, you won't be able to see her again until you go to heaven. He's like, well, what, what does that mean? You know, so you have to kind of figure out where they are matured in age and give them the right vocabulary for their age mm -hmm. as they get older. Mm -hmm. And I remember one thing vividly. Um, he's five now. So must have been about three and a half, four years old. We had this kind of struggle one day and he's yelling at me. And Papa don't play that. So <laughs> I put him in timeout and I go leave the room. I come back. He's all grumpy. He yells at me. I'm like, oh, no, back in timeout. And I can hear him sulking a room away. Mm -hmm. So I come in the room. I say, okay, TJ, what's going on, dude? And I pull him out of the chair and I'm eye level with him on my knees. And he says, I just want my sister. Mm. And he breaks down. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's like at the age of three, he doesn't know how to verbalize his grief. And the best he could do is yell at me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And that made me just, that hurt my heart because even as a man, every, th every emotion I emote comes out as anger. Mm -hmm. I'm sad. I look mm -hmm. angry. I'm mm -hmm. grumpy. I'm angry. You hurt my feelings. I'm angry. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what am I showing him? Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're going to parrot some of our emotion too, mm -hmm. as they learn what theirs are. And so that was a big wake up call for me too, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes you think you're doing a good job or think you're teaching, but they're watching. Oh, they're always right? watching. And so trying to grieve in a healthy way and do things healthy in front of them as it relates to grief is very important too. Mm -hmm. And I was having a conversation with my husband this morning about my daughter and the, you know, strange behavior she was exhibiting today. And I pointed out to him, I was like, A, she already deals with anxiety. And then B, she's experiencing a little bit of a traumatic um, time right now. And so we have to be more patient with her right. than we usually would because she's doing the same thing, screaming, and we don't appreciate that either. Right. But we have to filter that through what she's experiencing and allow her to give her some grace right, and right. have a little bit more patience. Right. Yeah. But then let them know uh, what's appropriate and what's not. Right. Yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah go yell into a that. paper bag. Don't, right. Uh. Punch your pillow. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. So yeah. you don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I read that children grieve in cycles. Mm hmm. Um, I liked what you said about, um, you know, saying, you know, saying that somebody passed and they're like, okay, let me play with my Legos. Um, some, they need a break from grief. Right. I mean, adults, I think need a break from grief. I lost, a, a my best friend four years ago, mm. uh, to colon cancer and I got tired of grieving, you know, at some point I didn't want to cry anymore. I didn't want to think about it anymore. I just wanted a break from grieving. Right. Yeah. Do you see that with, with them? Yes. I, I think I remember one thing and we, I actually put it in the book um, <laughs> is that early on we would all, how you feeling, man? How you, how you doing today? How you feeling? You know, how you doing? How you feeling? Cause it's like, I didn't want him to think that he couldn't tell us how he was feeling. Mm. And then he never told me not to ask, but then we were doing the book and I'm sitting there reading a the transcript as a, from, you know, the little interview I did with him. And he was like, yeah, I don't like it when I'm asked all the time how I'm feeling. Mm. You know, you don't have to ask all the time. Yeah. Right. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, yeah. But if we build that environment where they can come whenever they want to, that's best. Yeah. We don't have to hawk over them and how you feeling, how you doing, how you feeling. Every tear yeah. is not for us to wipe. Mm. And he said that to me. He's like, okay, well, sometimes when I'm crying and I'm in my room, leave me. That's when I'm trying to self-suit. Oh, tell me about that, Bryce. Uh, I did that like um, three months ago. I was sitting in my room and I was crying. And Papa came in the room and I said, Papa, I'm I'm okay. Um, I don't need you to come here. And I kept trying to work it out with myself. Mm. What do you do to work it out with yourself? I just thought about it and thought, what could I do not to do anything? Like just calm like calm down and not to do anything about it just mm -hmm. try and make it go away mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't go away are there any things that you do that can make you feel better when you're feeling like that like read a book or yeah reading a book and having my favorite food that kind of <laughs> cheers me up sometimes is that raising canes yes okay <laughs> and pizza and pizza and pizza okay. pizza and tacos yeah okay uh and just playing my favorite games because I like playing soccer with Papa. I always fall down. <laughs> and I start laughing about it. Why he's just pushing past me and TJ. <laughs> knocking us down. And he keeps scoring goals. Papa. Well, I'm not going to let him win easy. <laughs> but but what's funny. He, <laughs> he would say he, he wants to self-soothe when he's in a room by himself. But he says, if I start crying and I come to you, mm. that's when I want your help. Okay. That's what I did one night. I was crying, right. crying, crying, and I came in the room with you because I um I kept thinking of what would hap what would happen because my grandfather fell downstairs four times. Slipped on the stairs. Slipped. Okay. Well, it, it sounded like <laughs> okay. he fell down the stairs. Okay. And you the could first say it time, like I okay. screamed and I'm like, ah, and I started crying. Second time, I'm like, please let no, no, please, please no. He did. He fell downstairs. Third slipped time, slipped, slipped on the stairs. Third time, I'm like, this is never not gonna happen again. It happened. Fourth time, I'm like, turn on the light, please don't let this happen. He does it one more time, and he just shook me the first time that it happened. I, it was just, whoa, like, did he just fall downstairs? And I was trying to process what just happened. And I, I had to realize that. Got to turn on the, the light when you go downstairs. Yes, practically. <laughs> that's the first thing you yeah, had to practically, realize. Yeah, <laughs> practically, that's, that's it. But then also that their sense of security is shaken. Yeah. And literally, he, he's always waiting for that next shoe to drop. Uh-huh. Right? Because uh, there's a vocabulary as a, as a caregiver to a grieving child I'm not allowed to use anymore. And that's probably one of the most painful things of uh, caring for a grieving child. The things I can't say anymore. Right. Because I can't say, Papa promise ain't nothing going to happen to you. I'm wow. not going to let anything happen to you. Papa promise ain't nothing going to happen to him. You know, I can't say, I promise I'm going to be home tonight. Mm -hmm. Because I know the reality of that. And I can't give him those platitudes because he's seen somebody not be taken care of. Well, I ain't going to say not be taken care of. Something happened to someone, right? Mm -hmm. He's seen. Okay, well, somebody said that about my sister, that yeah. they're not going to let anything happen to her. Yeah. And something happened to her. And so it's, it's those little things. And that's probably what, what's piercing so much. I just can't give those little, you know, those little things that all parents tell everybody, you know, tell their kids. 
to make them feel better. I, I don't have that part of my vocabulary no more. Mm. And so when things like that happen, yeah, I slipped on the steps and skint my shin a little bit, but I just stood up and walked on downstairs, right? To him, that was that next shoe dropping, and mm. there's somebody else that can be gone, mm. right? And the first time I did it, I didn't even think about it that way. But the second time I slipped on the stairs, because he came bursting, before I could even stand up, he's out of the room with his arms around my neck. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, okay, just turn the light on. Stop trying to walk downstairs in the dark, because even... Even if I slip, it's not that big a deal, but it is a big deal, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like little different things you have to now take into account. The little bumps and bruises or noises you make at night actually mean something completely different now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So those kind of things, yeah. Yeah. As a parent, when something happens, I may be tempted to stop my child's or family's activities. What do you recommend for um, altering your family schedules in the event of a tragedy or an accident? I would say don't alter them to the extent of what everybody is comfortable with. And mm -hmm. I literally mean everybody, right? So having that conversation with the child about what's going on and what are they comfortable with? And I mean, because at a certain level, uh, not to seem callous, but life does go on, right? Mm -hmm. You still have to go buy groceries, still got to go to work, still got to do those things. Um, but then you have these new firsts, right? Mm. So it's the first trip to Six Flags without. It's the first family, family vacation without. It's the first Christmas without. And so I would say, if anything, you pre-plan the first birthday without, right? And so you pre-plan and it's like, okay, are we just going to let the birthday happen? Are we going to make a plan not to have plans and just see what the day takes us? So those kind of alterations are what the biggest things that I would be doing is kind of get out in front of those large things, right? And pre-plan or plan not to have a plan because mm -hmm. you might get up that day and not feel like how to, not feel like getting out of bed. Right. So be all right with that instead of, okay, I said I was going to do this and right. go plant flowers and go serve the needy in their honor and blah. And then you wake up that morning, it's like, I can't move. You can't move, yeah. So now you feel like you failed, mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes having a plan not to have a plan is the mm -hmm. best thing. Remembering to give yourself a break. Right. Yeah. And so if we decide to crawl out of bed at 2 p.m. on Alana's birthday, okay. Yeah. But if we, if we wake up and three-fourths of us are good, okay, we'll go to the cemetery, we'll go do this, we'll go. You know, and so it's those kind of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me what the symptoms of grief are for a child. Wow. I think. I can uh, say Yeah, sure. Yeah. So crying, madness and sadness mm -hmm. and like not wanting to do any, being mopey and not wanting to talk any, to anybody. Yeah. Just I was going to mention that one, being you're quiet. You're pushing, like, let's say your brother does something and you're feeling really sad that day. Then you push them and they get hurt. They start crying. Well, they get hurt and they start running downstairs and crying. Then you get in trouble. Then you feel even worse. That sounds um, like a very exact example. <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend. Yeah. yeah so, so frustration, <laughs> quietness, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of universal, you know, yeah. isolation. Mm -hmm. um, first, he was not hurt. He put got pushed against the bed. 
he was not hurt because I do that to him all the time. Okay, that so time, he just wanted to cry. Linger on stuff much? Okay, we're, we're past <laughs> And he now. ran okay. downstairs and okay. tattled on me. Okay. And then I got in trouble. So frustration. Frustration, yes. yes. Yeah. yes. So, uh, yeah, quietness, isolation, kind of the, they're, they're touchstones for grief in general. Mm-hmm. I just yes. think there's kind of uh, some different uh, showings of that when you're younger. But mm-hmm. I think they're the same. Yeah. Like, you know, because your best friend says they don't want to play with you no more, right? Mm-hmm. You get grumpy. You get quiet. You don't want to talk about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as you're older, you get lost. So yeah. it's like, okay, I'm grumpy. I want to be alone. Don't talk to me. Please talk to me. Why isn't nobody talking to me? I don't want nobody to talk to me. You know, you kind of have those things going on. Then the woe is me, loss of control. Yeah. It sounds very similar to what we would experience. Now, you mentioned TJ. <laughs> yeah, TJ was too. What are what do you see in younger children like his age? Uh, fantasizing. Okay, that I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Good. Y'all are so cute. And so it's uh it's kind of the imagination takes over the reality. Okay. So right now, so TJ is five. Alana passed away when she was four, and he was two. Obviously, she was his older sister. Right. But now that he's older than Alana was when she passed, he sees her as his younger sister. Oh, interesting. That's what I was talking to him about today. Yeah. He kept saying, I'm older than Alana. And I said, Alana's eight, TJ, are you sure? And I'm like, he's like, yeah, count your numbers. Yeah, but see, but that's but that's a five-year-old saying yeah. he remembers four. And four. so to him, he doesn't he knows what he is now versus yeah. what she was then. Yeah. Or the idea that um, Alana can come back. Or, you know, or he'll make up stories and put Alana in it as a character for things she never did. Mm. Right. So the, the four-year-old Alana is playing with the five-year-old TJ, mm-hmm. which never happened. Right? Yeah. And so he'll talk about playing with Alana, you know, and or playing with Alana when she was a baby. Mm. He wasn't here. Right. Right. And so those kind of things kind of, and it's fine. We don't correct him. We mm-hmm. just let him talk. I yeah. mean, we all don't. Some some people try to correct him, but you know we just kind of let him talk because that's that's how he's coping with it, right? Yeah. Because there's some fantasy sometimes in our conversation with Bryce about Alana, mm-hmm. right? Um, about the perfectness of Alana, of which course, we all yeah. tend to yeah. do that when we have loss. Yeah. And so it's those kind of things where it's like, okay, we just that's just how they talk through it. There's no reason to really um, correct them. Unless it's something that like, oh, well, you know, she can come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You got to mm-hmm. correct that. Right. Right. You can't let things like that linger. But if it's a story about him and Alana going to get ice cream, there's no harm in that. Yeah. You know, or him playing with Alana when she was a baby. Mm-hmm. There's no harm in that. Right. And so, it's, but it's things where you have to deal with their understanding, but put some barriers up where the fantasy doesn't get too big, where they can think they can change things. Yeah. With yeah. fantasy, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. Do we ever see re- regression in children, like bedwetting when they had already been? I, I think uh, what some things that were going on, like uh, I don't want to call. Well, early on, we would have the night terrors, mm. uh, so it'd be bad dreams about X Y Z family member dying or X Y Z family member having an accident. Yeah, and those were almost nightly. Uh, then it goes to once a week. Then it goes to once a month. And then it surprises you because it's been like three months and it's like, oh, so-and-so is up now screaming. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like 
some of those different things. And it just depends on, okay, what happened today, right? Did we talk about Alana today? Did something up, something else upsetting happen, right? Did they get in trouble early today? And now that frustration has turned to grief, has turned to bad dream. Now we're having a night terror. Mm-hmm. And so it was those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so regression, I would say no, but I, I would also say that the cyclical grief, right? Mm-hmm. So six-year-old, they're cool, whatever kind of fantasy line or whatever understanding they have, but now 10. So the grief has changed and sometimes it might feel like you're circling back because now there's like questions you thought you answered, but you right. answered them to a six-year-old. Exactly. Right. So I want I don't always see that as regression. I just see that as, oh, that's that age's right. stage of grief. Yes. Yeah. So how should you prepare your uh, the child for the funeral? This is something we didn't do right. Oh, OK. Right. And I'll admit that um, because a lot of these things we didn't know until we knew. Yeah. You know, I was that child, you know, 100 years ago when, I, when my grandfather passed away and kids didn't go to the funeral they left us all at home interesting right um but then as i got older it's like okay well so-and-so died the funeral saturday it wasn't like are you gonna go it's like the funeral saturday right right and so as i grew up into that so even in this situation alana passed away and it was like okay well they have a daycare at the church so the babies will be in there Mm -hmm. uh bryce asked to see alana um so we let him see Alana, but he didn't stay for the funeral. Okay. Right. Um, but, a, but a weird tangent I want to add to that, um, and I, I guess it's cultural or maybe based on whatever religion is. But right now, I actually coach or mentor or minister to people to actually have them really think through if they want to have a church funeral. Interesting. At, at their home church. Okay. Because... Mm, I think you know, I really I've, I've seen grandma, I've seen uncle, I've seen whatever. I've been through that. But when it was my granddaughter at my church, mm. and I, I, that's all I could see for months Gosh. was that vision. Oh. And, and it's like, you, you can't. Yeah. And so I don't want to over spiritualize it. And, you know, and it's like, oh, I feel like I'm not. You know, not doing the, the right thing spiritually if I don't have it at my church. And but it's like until you've been there. Mm-hmm. And that that is one thing that I just want people to really think about, because it that can be traumatizing to do that at your home church. And now you're expecting yourself to go back to that church and everything be OK. And that's hard. That is not something oh, that could you tell her the whole story of what happened? Okay, so Bryce, you know, uh, when we first told him about Alana, he wanted to see her or touch her one more time. And we said, well, you can't see her or touch her now, but in a couple of weeks you can, you know, for the funeral. Mm -hmm. So the day of the funeral, I walk him down the aisle to see her, and we let him reach in and touch her hand. And then he was obviously affected by that. Mm -hmm. So I had to sweep him out of the church and into the nursery, right? Um. And that's where he stayed. And thinking back on that, you know, that it was a, it was a blend of that's his last opportunity to see his sister. And that's his last way he's going to see his sister. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some trepidation in that. 
right? And sometimes I don't know if we think through that wholly or not. A six-year-old doesn't have that kind of conversation to say, hey, well, I want to do this and I want to sit on the second row and blah. So that's hard. Mm -hmm. I would always lean to no. Um, but once you get the preteen teen, when you can have that discussion and let them know what a funeral is and what they may or may not see and what they may or may not experience, I think it's worthwhile for that child to say, I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll just be at the repass. I'll be at the internment or whatever else. And I, and I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, and it's, and it's so crazy, uh, and that's some things we put in the book. It's the things that are in the book that actually people bring up that just amazes me. And I'm so happy it went in the book. I had a friend of mine approach me and she said, um, that's what we did to our niece. And I'm like, what do you mean? What, what did you do to your niece? She said, well, her mother uh, became ill. We, you know, <clears throat> Our niece started staying with the, with the aunt. And we didn't let her see her mom in the hospital at all. Mm hmm she didn't see her mom again until the funeral. Mm -hmm. From the time her mom got sick and she had to go into the hospital, we kind of swept her away. She didn't see her again until the funeral. And she said, I realized after reading that book, we did her a disservice. Because mm -hmm. <clears throat> we protected her from something that she might not need to be protected from. We just never asked her. Right? And so it's so important for children to have a voice. Or a child, you know what I mean by not adults, but that, that whole spectrum of ages. They need to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And we need to ask them how they feel about something. We need to have those hard conversations with yeah. our children about, do you want to see your sick mom? This is what you can expect. This is what a hospital smells like. This is what, a, you know, whatever else. And she might not look the same. Exactly. She might not be even conscious of you being there. Mm -hmm. But have those hard conversations. I think we get to the point where we protect our children so much from something that we deny them the opportunity for closure. For closure, yeah. You know, because there was really no closure for Alana because it was an accident, you know, it happened like that, no sickness, no nothing. So that's different. But sometimes we, we have to watch what we're protecting our kids from, especially when we don't give them a voice mm -hmm. to say something. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, that's so good. So a little bit of the, the backstory here. They lived in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you... And your wife came and got them, or uh -huh. they they came to live with you guys. Um, so they moved from Louisiana to Texas. Uh -huh. So what was the impact of um, those changes? That's a lot of change all at once. Yeah, especially for TJ. Uh, we moved into the area we live in now in 2015. And when we built our home, we built the home not with a guest bedroom, but we had a bedroom for the kids. Mm-hmm beds, the whole nine. It's like, okay, whenever they come stay over the summer for extended period Christmas, they have a room. They don't have a room that somebody else sleeps in on off days. They have a room, mm -hmm. right? And so, and they had, they had been in all, we had been in their lives since birth. You know, they've stayed with us on and off for years, you know, for different things or whatever else. And so when this happened and they came to us, it was late summer, practically right before school. And we decided early on to put them in a Montessori school because we wanted them in a small pond, right? We didn't want them in a big pond right off the bat mm -hmm. with the change. Uh, Bryce took to it a lot easier than TJ did because TJ had just turned two the April, like a month before Alana passed away. Mm -hmm. and so our experience with him, so now you're a two-year-old. Your sister's been, your sister's gone. Your home is gone. You're now with your grandparents. Right. So his was a little bit more stark. 
than Bryce's was. Because, I mean, we had been in Bryce's life since day one, just like TJ, but TJ didn't have as much life, you know. And so, um, and I, I guess, I mean, how did it all feel when you came? I mean, I, I know you always say now you, you really love living with us. But when you first came, and so how was how was changing schools and changing friends? How did all that stuff affect you? It was kind of upsetting because I was just about to get my best friend's phone number. His name is <laughs> Drew. I was just about to get his phone number. And then it just hit, and I, I didn't get another chance. Because that whole day Alana passed away, I was um, I was really upset. And this girl kept bothering me. It was so annoying. She kept saying, I saw your sister. And she kept saying that over and over and over. And I got so upset to the point where I just wanted to squeeze her. <laughs> and so she pops. But but how did that work when you got here? What what kind of changes did you go through when you got here? I, I lost my best friend. Um... And I didn't get to really see him or talk to him anymore. And it was just upsetting because we both went through a lot of things together. And then that click and then it just went there and just moved. Because I remember when they came here, we made, and I don't want to say we made more advances than other people made, but we we tried to try to get him back with his best friend from school. And Mm -hmm. we just couldn't coordinate right and things like that because we, you know, we called and uh, he might be somewhere else, or they called, or we might be at somewhere else. And so, um, trying to make keep those connections back there with friends and things like that was hard. Right. Uh, even the school, we'd call the school, say, hey, you know, we might be coming up next month, or what's going on, or whatever else. And um, so, it was all kind of hard. But I remember we made, we made an effort day one, even though... TJ and Bryce were new here. We didn't want any of their teachers to not know. Mm-hmm. And we made we decided early on, okay, this is what it's going to be. So wherever they go, we're going to advocate for them mm-hmm. and let the teachers know that they have a grieving child in their classroom. Right. And um, but we didn't know how to educate them beyond telling them about Bryce, you mm-hmm. know, and that has now gotten better. We're getting better about educating them holistically. But just then it was like, okay, you have a little grieving boy in your classroom and I want you to look out for him. Right. I want you to care for him. And and we let him decide if he wanted his classmates to know or not. But it was weird how his classmates found out at Montessori. Now I go in one day and the teacher was like, he said, yeah, he said, uh, it was another little girl's birthday and the little girl looks like Bryce. You know, we not many kids look like, you know, so she looked like <laughs> Bryce. And uh, they do a celebration of life for their birthdays. Mm-hmm. And she had her little baby pictures and toddler pictures. You do a picture for every year of your life. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you look like my sister. And so none of the kids knew he had a sister. They mm-hmm. knew TJ because he was downstairs with the nursery. Right. They didn't know he had a sister. And so the kids kind of let that go by. And we were at a birthday party and a mom approaches me and she said, my daughter said Bryce has a sister, but he don't have no sister. I said, yes, he does. And I decided to tell her because we were kind of close to them. She was like, oh, that's, you know. And so it kind of grew from there. And the next thing you know, Bryce had his celebration of life. And he decided to bring in a picture of Alana and talk about Alana. And the kids were just mesmerized. And, you know, he talked about her. And, and the next thing you know, he's ministering to his classmates. Like this one little boy comes to school and he's crying because his father is sick, but he didn't know how to pray. So Bryce showed the boy how to pray for his father, you know, and the teacher's walking up to me every day, almost in tears, like Bryce did this today and Bryce did that today. And I mean, but it's like, so his little servant's heart 
was kind of working through that as he was working on his healing. We just kind of went along for the ride and nurtured it. It was like, okay, well, if you want your friends to know, we're okay with that. You know, so we want to say help you talk to them. He's like, oh, yeah, I want to say that. I said, okay. And so that's kind of just how it grew from there. And so once he moved from, he was like, okay, you're in third grade now, about to go to fourth grade. It's time for you to go to a bigger pond. So let's put you in regular public school. You're good now. You're acclimated to the area. And so we went and interviewed that, not interviewed. We went and told that teacher the story. And I remember we were sitting. She's my TJ's little uh, teacher now. She moved to kindergarten and uh TJ just started kindergarten. Yeah. So she was his teacher in third grade. And, uh, and what was so amazing about that, so we're sitting there, and he threw us a curveball. She said, how many kids do you have at home? And before we could talk, Bryce said, three. But Papa I'll tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And so I had to tell her about Alana and this and that or whatever. You know, so so she knew. And so as as the years have gone on, his closer friends have learned about Alana. And he's and it's just kind of become a a part of who he is right it's not a stigma it's not oh look at that kid it's not right it's part of who he is yeah and it's actually opened the door for other friends and other little kids that are having grief issues to approach him yeah can you tell me about that bryce papa saying that um you've been able to minister to and support other people your age because of your experience so what kind of things have you been able to help out your friends with um been able to say are you okay and they would tell me and I've been able to comfort them and say, it's it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been able to do. It just, the regular stuff basically do as friends, but better than that. Mm. It is better than that. Because a lot of times when you're, um, when you're your age and you're a kid, you don't get an opportunity. Well, I don't know if it's an opportunity, but you don't, you kind of just go through kid stuff, Right. Um, and you know, you might have a bully at school or that might be the extent of stuff that they experience. That's really hard, but you've been challenged with some stuff that usually adults are going to be the ones that are being, uh, that are dealing with. And the great thing is that you're a kid and you can help other kids, um, who haven't experienced something, um, as serious as this. And you can talk to them in kid talk, right? In what? Kid talk. Oh, kid talk. You know, because yeah. sometimes we adults don't talk Oh, like... never mind. I thought you were talking about some, like, weird YouTube thingy or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, kid, like, kids' vocabulary, kid words. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about um, the kid that didn't know how to pray and what you said to him. You wanted to pray for I his... I don't remember. Oh, okay. Remember at Montessori, he was... Uh, I forget the kid's name, but he was... Jackson? No. We're not using kids' names. But, yeah, but uh, he... <laughs> He was uh, a different nationality. I don't remember. Okay, yeah. Okay. His teacher told oh, me about Oh, Chase. It. Never mind. Yeah, Chase. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, who? Yeah, Chase. Um, Yeah, he didn't know anything about that because his dad was in the hospital and he was sick. His dad's sick and I taught, I showed him how to pray and he was fifth grade. I mean, no, not fifth grade. He was fourth grade and I taught, no, when I told him I was in second grade, he was in third grade, I told him that then the next year on, he could be able to do it on his own. Fourth grade, I was in third grade. And then after I moved schools, I just lost contact with him. How did he know to come to you to ask for how to have, how to pray? I don't remember. Th- I don't remember that. I remember him 
um, his dad being sick. Okay. That's like the you only said, thing you I saw remember. him crying or something and you approached him. I forget the whole story, but you said he was crying or something. Oh, I guess that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, what support and accommodations did you get? You said you talked to the teachers and you let them know that they had a grieving kid mm-hmm. in their class. But a lot of times when you're grieving, um, you don't, you know, that can cause a difficulty in learning. Um, it can cause a difficulty in memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what kind of accommodations can you get from a school to help? What What I have learned is that grieving children are not one of the protected classes. Okay. Right. Got to put those back on. Grieving children are not one of the We're protective. Done, buddy. Yeah, are not one of the protective <laughs> classes. So, um, what and what most schools do, and I, I won't say this is not an indictment of schools; it's more of an inspection. I'll mm-hmm. say it that way. Mm-hmm. What I have witnessed most schools do is like something happens, unfortunate school shooting, or a kid was in a car wreck, or whatever else. Counselors will be here next Tuesday to address blah 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. But what happens that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and on going and on right. going? What happens? And, you know, there's a study out by, um, I forget the name of the company, but they, they believe there's at least one grieving child in every classroom in America. Wow. Right. So how is this addressed? And teachers are asking, how, how can we get help? What can we do? And <clears throat> what some one thing that we did, because we knew that, you know, he wasn't a protected class. There's no 504 program and <laughs> like that for him. And we kind of came up with this thing that's called a uh, grief inventory sheet hmm. right and so you list what the what the you know what the grief event is who they lost things like that but then we also had this kind of instruction sheet or idea sheet for teachers like okay so it's mother's day this kid could have been through a divorce yeah so he's not living with mother so everybody else is making mother's day cards hmm. right so how do you care for that child here's some alternative things you can do mm-hmm. or Mother or grandma might be, you know, with the Lord. So it's like, okay, can we write grandmother a note and put it on a balloon mm-hmm. to send it to mm-hmm. heaven? Mm-hmm. You know, can there be time with the counselor once a month where they just go kind of sit and talk and just kind of have a, you know, just a debriefing of the week? How do you feel? And so kind of giving these kids the option are, is there a signal I can give my teacher when I'm feeling bad yes. that they know I'm going to have an outburst or I don't feel good. I might be about to cry and I don't want to do it in front of my classmates. I pick my ear or, or you know, and then it was like, oh, you need to go to the bathroom. You know? And mm-hmm, so they can mm-hmm. go and go to the counselor's office. Mm-hmm. And so kind of giving these accommodations and just being aware, because what I said is that I was born with severe asthma, mm-hmm. right? So what if my parents sent me to school without medication or without telling the teachers that I had asthma. So now I go out in the playground and have asthma attack or the window is up and I'm allergic to everything and I start wheezing and stuff like that. My parents wouldn't put me in that position. Right. Right. But now you're going to send your child to school with an invisible injury or something like that and won't let anybody know. Oh, that's private. His grandma died. Nobody needs to know his grandma died. That kid is wearing that. Yeah. And so just like I had my illness or injury or I broke my arm, you can see the cast. But what do you do if you have a broken heart? Right. And then that kid goes to school and nobody's aware. And so now it's Mother's Day and everybody else is making cards and you're wondering why that kid doesn't want to pay attention or is bawling their eyes out in the back of the room. Right. Because mom died. 
Yeah. Or misbehaving. Right. Because that is definitely, you know, something that kids do when they're experiencing grief or trauma is sometimes they can rebel and fight back and things like that. And, you know, if you if you have a kid with severe um, asthma, you wouldn't just say, just keep running. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, because they know you have asthma. Right. Same thing when you're experiencing trauma or grief or anything like that. Um, You wouldn't just say, just, you know, just stop being stop doing that or just stop, you know, whatever. They need to be informed so that they can. uh, be cognizant of that and sensitive. Right. Well, and a, and a lot of the symptoms of grief look like learning disabilities. Mm. And I did this blog post wow. called, maybe it's not ADHD, maybe it's G-R-I-E-F. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, the inattentiveness and can't get stuff done and moodiness and flightiness. And people think those are, you know, are learning issues. They're grief issues. Yeah. And so you try to address them with this, oh, put them in timeout. Oh, put them in detention. Oh, give them a 504 plan because they can't keep up. No, they're grieving. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So I, I, I think just building the awareness, but it has to start at home. The parents have to be empowered to advocate for their children and let people know, hey, we just moved here from California and it's my my wife's new job. And, you know, my preteen daughter had a, was in love and now she's grieving the boyfriend she left behind. Mm. Okay. People might think that's like, oh, that's, that's puppy love. It happened. No, that child is grieving. Yeah. And so, yeah, she might get over it in a month, but what's going to happen in that month of schoolwork that she can't concentrate on and things like that. We just had an episode about dating last right. week, two episodes. They had so much to say. Right. And so <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing. And we have to be sensitive to we were kids once mm-hmm. we had made those foolish decisions and fell in love every month. We did that. But now because we're grown, we, we forget that we were kids. Right. 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 And the different things that can grieve a child. I mean, you take a child's cell phone. They say, I'm going to die without my phone. They might literally think they're going to die without that cell phone. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to address those things. And that yeah. happens with me. Whenever you take TV, computer, iPad away from me. I feel like I'm going to die because there's nothing to do. Oh, he's awake. Okay, he's awake now. <laughs> I've been awake. Okay. I've, I've just been waiting for her to say something. Well, I'm <laughs> about to say something. She's about to say something to I'm you. I'm about to. I have a question for you So about your book. Um, so you have conversation starters in your book to help adults talk to kids. Give me some of the examples. You could talk to your adults about you, how you, your teacher, and you, I mean, you, your teacher, and your parents can collaborate and understand each other's grief mm-hmm. like you could talk about remember your loved one or what happened if you cried or d- cried during class mm. you could brainstorm ideas of what happened if you did that mm-hmm. those are good um what conversation starters gosh we're so running out of time i have about a million more questions <laughs> for you <laughs> i'm trying to decide which ones i want to ask um you know, with all this coronavirus, what conversation starters can we um, have for our kids to talk about this? Because we don't want to scare them, but we right. also don't. They, obviously, something's going on. They're not, you know, we're getting so much information coming at us. So what can we do to start just to find out how they're feeling? Right, right. I mean, it's just kind of a, and I, I mentioned before things we can't tell our kids. But I mean, but but some of the things like, you know, overall, you are safe. You're at home with us. You're secure. We have food. We have this stuff like that. So right now, 
think about this as an inconvenience. It won't last forever. Right. But there could be some anxiety about it. And I might say, what's anxiety? Oh, fear, sadness, when you're nervous. Oh, okay. You know, so you have to use words they can understand. Mm -hmm. But it's more so, okay, since you can't go outside or since you can't have your friends over for a sleepover, what would you like to do? Mm -hmm. Right. You know what? Since we have to be in the house, how can we make the house feel like not being in the house? Right. Right. And so it's more so getting them involved. I mean, because it's not like, you know, we're not being invaded, so to speak, by some foreign entity that's waiting to, you know, come into your house and do something to you. So it's like, okay, let's let's ease back on this and just try to figure out ways to live within these parameters. Okay, so we can't go to a restaurant, but we can drive around the block. You know, we can walk around the block. We can do this and do that. We can drive to the mall <laughs> and just drive back home just to get out of the house, you know. And so just kind of figure out ways to and get them involved in, you know, making some of the outside inside kind of thing. It's kind of expanding the walls, so to speak, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, um, um, but instead of driving to the mall and then driving back. Don't do that because then you're wasting gas that then you have to pay for. <laughs> then that's wasting Earth's natural resource. You should maybe like you should like walk or ride your bike, not to the mall, but like ar like yeah. around the neighborhood instead of wasting stuff like that. You could that would be better instead of driving to the mall because what's the point of driving to the mall? That's yeah, that's right. And then see, driving all the way back with this empty is the conversations we have all the time. Yes. We'll say something he'll improve upon it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pretty smart kid. Okay. Well, you are, I can tell. Um, hey Bryce, can you tell me what has helped you most in your grieving process? Just talking to adults and kids about my grief. It just whenever I'm talking to them, it helps me for them to tell me and then I tell them and then we we can understand each other's grief mm -hmm. and figure out what to do, just what to do about it. Like, let's say you're feeling so sad. Your friend comes up and says, what's wrong? You tell them what's wrong. They say, remember what we said last time? Maybe we should try this. And then you try that and you feel better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What tips do you give that you recommend for kids uh, that are going through the griefing process? Uh, this is in my book. My six tips for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, the bet to me, I like to use reading, art, and writing because that to me that helps the most. There's six of them, but I don't. I like to use only three. Okay, but you say something right. about um, crying or something too. Oh yeah, you? crying is like medicine. It's okay to cry because when you cry, it can make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want kids to think they can't cry. You yeah. Know? Well, that's yeah. not that's not good. Right. No, it's not good. If you have emotions, you've got to express them. Um, real quick, what resources are available for grieving children? Yeah, there's. I actually have a, a short list of them here that mm -hmm. I'll read off a few of them. But um, also on our website, well, I guess I put them on Bryce's website. If you go to thiskidsgrief.com mm -hmm. slash noggin. Okay. Um we have uh, like a little packet of resources that it has a list of resources for grieving families, for teachers, a book list, all, well, including this book, but, you know, other books that are good, too. Uh, but a couple of things. Um, I know Bryce's favorite spot is called Camp Agape. It's a bereavement camp for kids, but it's here in Texas. But it's available to kids wherever they come from. As long as you can get to the camp, the camp itself is free. Okay. Uh, and it's in uh, Marble Falls area um, near San Antonio. 
But then they have different organizations. Um, Eluna is a great place. Um, they have resources that you can download and um, different books and things like that. I love the Dougie Center. I consider them kind of the gold standard of um, information for children's grief. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Where is that located? Um, it's physically located in, I think, New Hampshire. Okay, but this but is online resources? It's, yeah, great. it's online resource. So you can go download different books they have, different resources. A lot of them are free. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have some curriculum things for students, or well, for teachers mm-hmm. to help their students. Um, but those are probably the biggest three that I like. I mean, as far as a physical place, Camp Agape, um, it's a grief camp. But then Eluna is a resource for um, documentation, so to speak. Right. And then the Dougie Center. Okay. Uh, there's a, I know we're Texas and everybody can be listening, but there's another place. It's called Jenny's Hope, but I forget the name. Uh, oh, Lord. I have it on, the, on another list. But uh, Jenny's, uh, Jenny's Hope is here in Texas, but it's, it was made based on another place. And it'll, it'll come to me as soon as we get in our car to leave. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a great kind of center that you can go to and get information for kids' grief and there's kind of organizations all over the place and, you know, you have a different level of quality of what they provide for the kids. It depends on the age and things like that. But children's grief is kind of very specific and even to different age groups. Okay. So you have to kind of pursue it based on where your child is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but grief camps are excellent. Yeah. It's a way for the kids to get out with other kids that are like them and they can actually speak on their grief and experience their grief and have counselors there without the parents. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think those are great environments for them. To yeah. Do that. Yeah. Um, also support groups. And are there any books? Yeah. I mean, outside of what this kid wants to do right. about grief, um, there's a couple of books. I think one of their favorite books is called uh, Dragonflies. Uh, and and uh, Waterbugs. Yeah. Water bu- that's, Dragonflies and Waterbugs. That, it's, that's an excellent book. Yeah. It's like, it's not, I'm not saying it's for little kids, but it, Gets the main concept for little kids because right. you're you're basically a water bug. Then the, these water bugs climb up this stalk. Then when they leap out, they land on like a leaf or something. Then instant later, they all the water dries up and they grow wings. So they fly off, and that's technically um, the show of how if your loved one passed away. It's showing how that happened. Yeah, they, mm. they transform and they can't come back under the water. Oh, I see. Right? Okay. And so, and it helps little kids understand once you transition, they're a new thing, but they can't come back to where they were. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, Bryce used to read that book to TJ all the time, and TJ loved it oh. at the age of two and three. There's another book called The Invisible String. Uh-huh. I really like that book. Um, the, there's a book called The Coat I Wear. I remember you liked that book. It was the raincoat the kid wore all the time, the little boy. Because it belonged to his uncle or something that passed oh, away. Yeah. yeah, and so, and so most of the books that we list are I call them kid approved. Mm-hmm. Him and TJ read them. Yeah, but those are those are probably three that really stick out to me, especially that dragonflies and I mean water bugs and dragonflies, mm-hmm. the invisible string, and then the coat I wear. Okay, are probably the three biggest ones for kids where they can read them or you can read them to the kid, mm-hmm. and it gives a, a great understanding of grief and of loss. And it kind of puts it at a kid's level where there's not a lot of questioning. Right. right. It's honest conversation, but at their level. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and we will have all of these um, these resources on our website on schooldaysshow.com. Um, so you can go and get those as well. So, Bryce, 
How do we find your book? Oh, you can find my book at www.thiskidsgrief.com or at, on Amazon. Okay, excellent. And then Bradley, um, I know you have a lot of resources. You're an author as well, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how do we find your stuff? Yeah, um, my website is bradleyvinson.com, just my name.com. And I'm working on a, on a men's grief book right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have another book called Good Grief, Why Believers Can Grieve with Hope. You got to name and what I, it is. Hmm? What is it called? You I just said it. You didn't say what it was called. Oh. The new book. Men, men <laughs> Grieve too. Just different. Okay. And I know that's not grammatically correct. Right. That's just how, how we say it. Men grieve too, just different. Right. Um, and yeah, we have blog posts there that are, you know, everything is free to download, the blog posts and things like that. Just kind of have resources about kids and funerals. Mm -hmm. um, how to talk to kids that have a military parent that's away. Mm. And so we just kind of have those different things there. But that's at uh, BradleyVinson.com. All right. Well, guys, this has been tremendous thank you guys so thank much you for having us and you were able to sit for more than a half hour you said you could only sit for a half hour that's because i'm doing something ah okay gotcha if i'm doing nothing just sitting there that's impossible that's a very good point well thank you i appreciate y'all taking your time thank you for having us all right noggin educational foundation is the premier sponsor of school days so we always want to let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. Our mission is to help close the achievement gap for economically disadvantaged children by improving educational opportunities for students, supporting families, and encouraging excellence and innovation in the classroom. School Days is part of our commitment to support families by providing access to experts who offer information and resources regarding all topics that impact education. If you love this program, please consider donating to Noggin. Your gift will be taxed deductible. Head to our website schooldazedshow.com to give today. Next week joining me in the studio will be friend of the show Salvador Villalobos. He co-hosted with David on that episode about dad involvement. So Sal has been in the financial sector for 23 years and one of his passions is promoting financial literacy in children. And also joining us remotely will be Dr. Stephen Cobb. He's the Director for Education, Economic Education at the University of North Texas and the Co-Director of the Texas Council on Economic Education. So don't forget to share with your parent friends about that one. And as always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com for more information about all that we're doing and about all the, the resources that we've mentioned here on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Sorry about that. I had an alarm go off on my phone. <laughs> and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to help our kids grow into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please drop me a line at info at schooldaysshow.com. Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Dazed is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.